We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of Purple Talk Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. I told you we were going to give you more podcasting options, uh, that we were going to keep bringing you more and more interviews because uh, it's a difficult time and everybody's locked in their homes and they need something to listen to. Uh, so I reached out to one of my, my good friends, uh, Mr. Jerry Reynolds. JR, what's going on? Well, uh, pretty much the lockdown here in the, in the home and... Uh... You know, just uh, trying to do the right things, and obviously very concerned, like like everyone is and should be. Yeah, I think that's we're still in concerned and confused and not sure what to do phase. Um, I think that's everybody. But I mean, we were talking right before you came on, um, and like this is a you're a target area, right? You you've got to be safe and careful. And uh, yeah, you I know, mean, uh, I'm 76. My wife's 75, and I know she hates to admit that she thinks she's 45, but uh, she is. And then, you know, we have some health issues to go with it. So I think we're kind of the target of this, you know, kind of thing. So we're we're trying to do all the right things. And obviously, so far, so good. Well, Sacramento needs you locked down. They, you are a, uh, a Sacramento treasure. We, we want nothing to happen to the Reynolds family at all. Um, so, Jerry... You've been in the NBA world for, I mean, 35-plus years at this point. Um, I don't even know where to go. I mean, this has got to be the most confusing and bizarre situation of your entire career in the sport, uh, seeing the league shut down, the way the response, how this has played out. What are just your general takes from you know what we've seen over the last uh, two weeks since we all saw each other? Um, at that final game against the Pelicans. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's just total uncharted territory. It's just something that, uh, you know, none of us certainly could prepare for. How, how can't Nobody has been through this. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, almost have to go to, you know, World War uh, kind of situations uh, uh, to 
to, to find something that's so disruptive and uh, so concerning for for so many people and uh you know it, it it is just what it is obviously sports is just sports and it's entertainment so it has to clearly has to you know be be you know be take a back seat it's it's not near as important as just life and certainly you know everything that that goes with it you know it's just it this is a pandemic and and you know everybody's at risk uh for the short term for sure you know jerry i know we've started playing um we we've gone into the archives and started pulling out games to play uh on nbc sports california which i, I hope fans have been enjoying uh we had the first game on thursday uh, which was, uh, I think it was Bogdanovich's jumper uh, to win the oh. game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, on Saturday, we played De'Aaron Fox's first triple-double, which is that he absolutely torched uh, Trey Young. Um, and then Sunday, we had uh, Buddy Heald's game winner in Detroit. Um, and, and just so people know, we are working to get older games uh for right now what we have uh available to us that are in our system um are are maybe the last couple of years um but we are working to not only we we've procured some of the older stuff but it comes down to a technical issue of how to uh translate those into something that our system can digest because a lot of these things are on old tapes and uh, some of them are locked up in computers uh, that are at sleep train. Um, but Jerry, is there is there a game or a handful of games that if you were to say, look, I, I was there, I got to call this game uh, from, you know, the early 2000s or the late 90s, what game would you want to have played uh, and, and watch again if you had you know, a choice? Yeah, those are, that's a great question, you know, uh, because we didn't really get to do, uh, Grant and I, any of the playoff games once you got past the first round for the most part, you know. So yep. so, so that takes away most of the memorable uh, games of those. Uh, you know, I, I've always just thought of some that were, you know, and I can't even remember the year, but I remember the game where the Kings beat the Knicks when they weren't totally terrible at home and and we were down seven points with the like or seven points with about a minute 14 to go i think i always because i always you know, used to kid grant that was another one of those you know you know well, this this game's over <laughs> <laughs> and and it wasn't uh, you know which uh you know it's one of those early kind of lessons that uh we always uh, kind of have to remember that boy in the NBA, it's never <laughs> the old Yogi Bear thing. It ain't over till it's over, and uh, that was one of those where they, the Knicks found ways to gag it away as much as the Kings win it. And then, uh, you know, Tyreek. I always remember the, you know, the excitement of Tyreek Evans' 50-footer uh, to win the game against the Grizzlies. Obviously, wasn't a, a, a huge, meaningful game, but the. But it was just so exciting because O.J. Mayo had just made an unbelievable shot mm-hmm. uh, to to put Memphis ahead, you know, which I, I certainly assumed, well, you know, I'd already uh, got my mind around getting beat. Uh, and then and then Tyree hits that 50-footer, you know, and it it was uh, pretty miraculous. And I then uh, I think and we were doing we, – we did do the uh, San Antonio Spurs uh, – playoff series 
the oh, last yeah. time the Kings were in the playoffs when Kevin Martin, you know, drove and hit that fantastic shot, bounced around and, and beat the Spurs at home and, you know, one of the more miraculous games. Uh, okay. So, so those are some of the, you know, just some of those things. You know, I mean, there's so many. And then, you know, if you, it's like, I'm sure yourself, you know, you sit down and think about it. A couple hours later, you'd come up with three or four others. Yeah. Um, first up, the Tyreek Evans shot, that was my first season covering the team. That was the 2010-2011 season. Um, and the crazy thing was, I, w- I was sitting right next to Zach Harper, um, who we both, at that point, we we were running Cowbell Kingdom together. And um, when he launched that shot, uh, it was coming right at us. We were in the media seats that were in the second level, right behind the basket on the the king's side where the king's bench was and so the shot came right at us and it had this spin on it it wasn't just in from the the get-go it it had a nice spin and rotated in and zach and i started leaning together watching it and it was like oh man that's got a shot and then that place lit up that was one of those moments where you got to see Arco Arena just explode, absolutely explode with excitement. And then, of course, he runs over and he jumps up on the scorer's table. And I know Jason Jones was trying to hold him because he almost lost his balance. <laughs> yeah, like he could have fallen. <laughs> but it was, I mean, it's just one of those, you know, I mean, you can't win a game any more, exci- any more exciting way than that, you know. I mean, it's like you're behind and you hit a, a full, basically a three-quarter court shot to win at the buzzer and of course Dante right. Green was on the floor they could in theory the officials probably could have called a technical on him he came off the bench <laughs> you know I think he expected it to go in yeah you know, remember that you know it's, it's like some of the the little things you remember that uh, stick out too yeah now there are two other games that I would like to see um and that is man I was young um the Kings were down by 30 uh, to the Seattle Supersonics and went on a 30 to one, a 31 to one run to uh, tie the game, and then they won. And that was when Seattle was good. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think I remember yeah. Walt Williams doing a like a 360 dunk on a breakaway in that game. Um, so I would like to see that. And then the one other Jerry I would like to see, even even though the Kings lost, was the the shortened lockout shortened ninety eight ninety nine season with uh, with the Utah Jazz. Is that what? Am I right there? The and John Stockton um, absolutely abused Jason Williams, and mm-hmm. he, he kept uh, Jason Williams would reach out and he would hook his arm and get the foul call again and again. And I would just love for people, A, to see John Stockton um, just in his, not in his prime, but at, at where he, how crafty and amazing he was to watch, how smart of a player he was, but also oh, sort of yeah. the first season You're of exactly right. I mean, he, he was really near the end of his career at that time, but still so productive. And like you say, uh, you know, Chris Paul, you know, is the same way where, where they got it, you know, had all the tricks and quite honestly, both. Uh, bordered on dirty, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and and very physical. Uh, you know, I mean, Stockton probably the best screen setter 
for a small guard I've ever seen. And, and of course, most of them were illegal. But uh, <laughs> he was so good at it, he didn't get called much, and you didn't expect it from a, you know, six one, hundred and eighty pound guy. But uh, you know, so much of uh, Utah's offense kind of, kind of centered on that type of thing. And uh, but I say, you know, it's uh, a true great. That was, and that was one of the actually a game, you know, the Stockton's last game where the Kings, I think, the very next year beat them in the playoffs. I believe, and and uh, Stockton, you know, the, our fans, they beat him, beat the Jazz and finished him off in our arena, and mm-hmm. the fans gave him a standing ovation, Stockton. I, I really uh, just meant a lot to me. I mean, you know, to appreciate greatness, and, and not not a lot of fan bases do that, but ours does. Yeah, I, I'm with you. That was uh, another amazing moment. Um, and, you know, Stockton also, there was a point where, was it Stockton or was it Magic that hit a huge milestone? Like they hit either 10,000 assists or 12,000 assists in the building. Um, and the fans gave a standing ovation, um, which I, I thought, you know, it shows you that Sacramento fans, they're they're crazy for their kings, but they're also, they're smart fans and they appreciate uh, yeah. fans. You know, we've talked about that a lot. And, I, and I've always said that that's the thing. If there is any bright spot to have an, a lot of bad teams over the years it is that our our fans became nba fans almost as much as kings fans and knowledgeable about it mm-hmm. and you know because the majority of our fans buy their tickets they're not corporate tickets they, they buy them and so they you know and they like yourself i talked to a lot of, of fans and 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 you know i i just think you know we have the most knowledgeable nba fans uh, in the league, I really do. Uh, not just a not just a one team kind of knowledge, but uh, you know, to me, that's always uh, been kind of special. Yeah, I, I think it is, and I, I you know, I, I appreciate Kings fans. Um, you know, it's something that you look and you see how they just keep coming back, and how they just want something to uh, to put their arms around and hold on to. And you know, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Now, Jerry, I've been watching these replays, and I don't know if you've got to watch any of them, um, but uh, the first replay was De'Aaron Fox as a rookie. The second replay was De'Aaron Fox in his second year, and the third replay is De'Aaron Fox in his second year, but later in the season, I believe. Um, watching him as a rookie, you just you forget how incredibly skinny he was oh uh, yeah and and how he lacked strength um and you could see the speed and the quickness and you can see the uh the potential but to see where he was then and then to get to see him the next year when he really has one of his breakout games but then i kind of want to go back and see now and and see all three side by side not just to see his, his strength and his, the added weight and how much work he's done on his body, but also just the way he moves, the confidence that he's showing. Um, and, and it's something that I think that we miss. It's almost like you have your kids and, uh, you know, you, you get in such a big hurry, right, to, to see the next step. You can't wait until they can crawl and then you can't wait until they can, they can talk and then you can't wait until they can walk. And you keep waiting for these milestones. You can't wait until they're out of diapers. And then the next thing you know, 
they're 16 years old and you're like, man, what just happened? And I think this is a moment where we can kind of reflect on De'Aaron and some of the other players of where they were and where they've come to. And it's really impressive to me. So what is it that you've seen, whether you've watched him or not, you've watched every game that he's ever played. So what are you seeing from Fox? Well, uh, the the thing that that maybe impresses me the most, I, I think probably, uh, obviously, he's better in every phase of the game, but but more importantly, he knows he's the leader, and he clearly didn't uh, his first year. Uh, you know, and the fact is, you know, George Hill was brought in for for him not to be, you know, which may may have not have been the right move looking back. But uh, but anyway, and then and then even his second year, it's kind of a mixed bag, I thought. Uh, but this year. You know, there's no doubt that De'Aaron knows it's his team. Uh, he's the point guard. He's supposed to make things happen. And, and you know, he seems to be relishing that role. Now, I, I haven't said that. I, I, I think he can get better. I'd, I'd like to see him be even more of a leader. You know, uh, get on guys a little bit. Uh, be a little little harder edge to him, you know, like a Stockton, uh, you know, like a Chris Paul. I mean, you know, the ultimate kind of leaders because I think he has you know you know he has the uh, skill to back it up and uh, and certainly the respect of his teammates so you know but but that's all a work in progress I mean it it, it, it you know it takes you know Gary Payton didn't get there in a few years and neither did John Stockton yeah it, it's fun to watch the progress and you know if you look at the statistical breakdown he really matches up very very well to the the statistical arc of Russell Westbrook. I mean, he's way ahead of a guy like where uh, Mike Connolly was at this point in his career. He's actually sure. way ahead of a lot of players where they're at in this Oh, this yeah, point the Kyle Lowry's and Mike Connolly's, uh, you know, just way ahead of those guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, actually, well, way ahead of Steve Nash. Uh, oh, yeah. Now, you know, uh, basically, you could probably say he's, at least on par with where Curry was in his third year. Uh, now, what does that mean? Well, doesn't mean anything actually, because it, it it just means <laughs> it it means he's on the right track. And you don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like you know, I always say Nash is the ultimate guy. He and Curry both were. They you could see they were going to be good, and and you then pretty soon they say, boy, they're good, and then all of a sudden. They they were truly greats, absolute greats, and you know that's just because they just kept getting better and better, and that's what you know what you hope from De'Aaron. Uh, if he does, he could be. It's also true. You look around the league, and there's a lot of guys, you know, that in their third year, Tyreek would be one case in point. Like like quite a few others we could mention, not just from the Kings, but. Uh, <laughs> Steve Francis, or you know, you can go oh, on yeah. and on. Guys that looked like they were going to be special, but just it just never happened. So that's why I always say uh, there's no assurances that anybody's always going to keep getting better. Uh, you just that's what you're hoping for, though. Yeah, it's interesting. You wait for a player to get to a certain point where you can just count on that every year. And I don't know if it's going to be next season or if it's going to be three years from now but we we haven't even come close to that point with De'Aaron Fox that's what it feels no, like the, the potential is almost unlimited and and here again that doesn't you know that doesn't mean it'll be reached uh, I, I'm I'm hopeful 
but also I've realistic. been to the county fair and realistic, and I know that <laughs> just didn't always the case. It's uh, funny. Now, the other thing I watched uh, on Sunday's game um, was, again, it was the buzzer beater by Buddy Heald over the Detroit Pistons. And a couple of things stood out. Uh, number one, the Detroit Pistons are, like at that point, they were really dirty. Uh, there was a lot of bad screens by Blake Griffin, by Zaza Pajula, uh, by John Lauer. Uh, I mean, I thought the Kings absolutely got destroyed. Uh, as far as on screens and, and just getting hit, getting clipped. Um, there was a point where Zaza actually tripped Buddy Heald going to the basket and didn't get a flagrant call for it. Um, there, there was just like some interesting stuff going on. But I also, Marvin Bagley played, and he played really, really well. And he fought with Blake Griffin. And to me, Jerry, it was one of those moments where you go, man, I think I forgot what Marvin Bagley, he's only played 13 games this season, but it's also been, you know, the first game of the season and then a short block of games. And then he came back and then he got hurt again after another four games. So we've seen like these fits and starts. We haven't been able to see him get comfortable, sort of get in a flow, get in a rhythm. But uh, to go back and actually see a game where he had started to build on something was really fun to watch and to me it was like okay I still I forgot again about how incredibly talented he is you're just hoping that he can put it all together and stay healthy well that's a key obviously you've got uh, you know we've said many times availability is one of the the, the most important parts of of uh, talent and uh got to be on the floor and he hadn't been able to to do that on a regular basis in these first two years you know and I of course I've always said for me to to make any kind of judgment for the most part you almost need to see a guy probably play 150 games uh, I mean there's exceptions to that the true greats you know true greats uh you, you can pretty well tell in in 30 or 40 games yeah <laughs> you know but uh uh but th- that's you know, a handful of guys every decade. And, and you know, quite honestly, Marvin does not belong in that category. Uh, but uh, there's no reason to believe that, that he can't, uh, you know, really score the ball on a, on a consistent basis every night and, and rebound on a consistent basis. And you, you've seen that ability. Now, what you haven't seen because he hadn't been on the floor enough is, is can he, what can he do to make his teammates better you know, offensively and defensively, you know, and that to me, that's, those are the big, big steps because he's got to find a way with his talent because he's going to draw a lot of attention with his talent to find ways of, of really making, you know, without, you know, he games when he, when he isn't a good offensive player where he can still make his team better. I, I would agree completely. We're, we're so early in his, uh, and sort of his player arc, who and what he's going to be. And you hope that the injuries don't become, you know, sort of the calling card for who he is and that he can get past this. I mean, again, he hasn't even played 80 games yet. Uh, I think he's played 72. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he's, to me, barely halfway to any fair judgment point. Uh, and so, and, and you know, and, and of course it's tough for him but because – at some point you do have to stay on the floor and obviously his body has uh you know kind of let him down so far that doesn't mean and i always tell people it doesn't mean 
going forward, I always remember Zydrunas Logakis of the Cavaliers. Uh-huh. His first th- first three years in the league missed about two-thirds of the games. And then he had about eight straight years where he didn't hardly miss any. So one thing doesn't have to do with the other. You know what I mean? It, it, uh, you know, it, uh, Steph Curry you know, had all the ankle problems early mm-hmm. in his career and, and for, until just recently had been basically healthy. So, uh, you know, so so it, it just uh, to me it's a, it's unfair to say well he's always going to be hurt well you, you can't know that yeah. <laughs> you just can't know that you can't you can't know that he's had some bad luck and he's had no major like something that could set you back i mean the foot no. is an issue but it's a sprain he didn't break any bones the the knee issues and a were... finger and, and stuff like yeah, that you know yeah. those, those are things that was well, like De'Aaron had a tough uh, ankle injury in practice well that's the thing i mean if you play competitive basketball on the floor there's a chance you're going to get hurt yeah and uh i mean that's the way it is uh, so yeah i mean i you know he but that's you know as a certainly kings fan which i am uh you know what i want to see from marvin is is obviously to get on the floor and stay on the floor and uh and maybe by this time next year, you you really can say, boy, this guy is going to be what we hoped he'd be. Or, or you can say, well, geez, uh, maybe he's not going to be. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it's big because at that point you have to pay him. And that's yeah. what it's going to come down to. It's going to yeah, be, yeah, you need to have you know, exactly an idea. Point. <laughs> yeah. You are listening to the Purple Talk podcast on NBC Sports California brought to you by Wendy's, but we've also added a couple new sponsors. Uh, First BMW jumped on board, and now Big O Tire as well. So let's hear from our sponsors. No matter who you are, no matter where you're going, no matter what's next, there's an X to take you there. We said BMW X5, xDrive 40i for $719 a month. Big O Tires is open and here to serve you. In accordance with the shelter-in-place mandate, Big O Tires is considered an essential business and most locations remain open. Call your local Big O Tires store for store hours and information. Big O Tires, the team you trust. All right, we're back. Let's get back to the conversation with Jerry Reynolds. Uh, okay, so let's get away from the, the current players, Jerry. There, um, There's a story, me and you have talked about this in the past, but... It's something that I think that um, it always sparks my imagination, and that is the greatest trade never made. Uh, the trade that you had worked out. Um, what I'll just start to. What is the greatest trade that you you had done as a general manager or as president of basketball? I mean, you had so many hats, but the greatest trade that you had done and couldn't get approval for, and that you think could have changed the entire franchise. Uh, for me, it was uh, the trade of uh, uh, Lionel Simmons uh, to the Indiana Pacers for Detlef Shrimp. Yeah. I, I, wa- I wanted to do that uh, because I thought, you know, we'd done Mitch, I think, the year before. And I thought, you know, with Detlef, and, and Lionel was, was not quite the same player at that stage. He'd already started to struggle uh, due to knee problems. But, uh, but, you know, it's a case where Larry Brown uh, basically doesn't like, you know, doesn't like his players after a year, <laughs> you know, <laughs> regardless. Well, they don't like him. <laughs> or they don't like him. But anyway, yeah, and that 
uh, you know, I, that was just one of those they wouldn't let me do, uh, primarily because of money. It's, you know, it was one of those deals that said, well, Detlef's going to want a lot of money on his next contract. I said, yeah, he, he will because he's really good. <laughs> I, I I thought that was kind of what we ought to be shooting for. Uh, I mean, and, and Lionel, of course, got you know he had a decent contract himself. But anyway, that that was the one because I thought, you know, I'm not saying that made you championship caliber or anything, but I thought with with Detlef and Mitch, it gives you two guys that probably can make you a playoff contender, if not playoff team, for for a lot of years. Yeah, you probably would have been a multi-time uh, playoff team. Now, I mean, you still would have had to find the other pieces. Um, uh, and, and, you know, like the number seven pick, which you guys got like every year, it felt like. Every year you yeah. were the seventh pick in the draft. I was going to say, yeah. And, you know, and I mean, I always felt pretty good about I mean, we got Walt Williams, I think it was the seventh uh-huh. pick. And, you yep. know, he was an all-rookie team. That Lionel Simmons, runner-up rookie of the year, at seventh pick. And then, of course, Bobby Hurley. Just an unfair circumstance there. Mm-hmm. Uh, played 19 games before body being destroyed. But uh, so you know, it, it uh, it's what it is. I mean, I think what you can't do, uh, you know, is is totally miss on guys who who just can't, can't stay in the league. You know, and I mean, Bobby didn't, but I think he had a reason. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he had pretty good reason, and uh, uh, a lot of good reasons, in fact. But uh, yeah, when you when you just totally miss on guys in the lottery, and and every team has done it, but but the Kings in the last you know few years have just done it more than about anybody else. Yeah, over the last decade, over the last decade, they've missed a lot. I mean, the Thomas Robinson over Damian Willard, um, Ben McLemore over. I mean, pick that. Yeah, you know the you know. yeah Thomas uh, Jimmer. Uh, yeah, Jimmer uh, was huge. Obviously, Stauskas, Ben. Mm-hmm. All those guys, and, and I mean, it's it's to me, it's not as much as who they missed on. I mean, although that always comes up, but it's the fact those guys themselves couldn't uh, find an important niche, you know. That uh, and to me, if if in fact Thomas Robinson was had become a really good power forward, well, well then okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, it 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 doesn't have to be the best pick in the draft, but as long as you you have a quality player for the pick, I mean, you can always, you know, kind of debate uh, some of the things. You know, it's kind of like Memphis taking uh, Josh Jackson or not Josh Jackson, but uh, Jaron Jackson ahead of Trey Young or or Doncic. Well, uh, you know, clearly he's not near as good as either one of them. Yeah, but but he's a good player. Yeah, and you and, know, and, and they don't care, you know, because it's worked out for them, you know. Yeah, so, I, I think it's it's interesting. I hear fans all the time say this is the worst mistake the Kings have ever made, and that's just really it's not true. Because while Marvin true, has been no. hurt, he uh-huh. when he has been healthy, he's actually a decent player. I mean, we don't know what he's going to be, but we do know that he can average fourteen and a half points and eight rebounds a game. Um, that's something that. You know, again, you compare it to uh, Thomas Robinson versus Damian yeah. Lillard, or uh, you know, again, Jimmer. The Jimmer one is nuts because you know they they move from seven to ten in that draft. Kemba Walker, um, uh, Clay Thompson. Kemba was nine, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know. You know, of course, more importantly, uh, Clay Thompson was eleven, and and Kawhi Leonard was fifteen. Yep. And uh, you know, but but 
you kind of always have that, you know. I mean, I always say that that draft was so interesting because if you say three years after that draft, or say five years after that draft uh, was held, if you held it again, Isaiah Thomas, who was the 60th pick, would have been third or fourth pick. Yeah. <laughs> and and Jimmer would would not have been drafted probably, or he'd have been a second round pick. Yeah. You know, like Isaiah. So, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that it, it's a little bit I always kind of get a kick out because I followed these kind of things where uh, the Lakers one year had the eighth pick and they took a a kid from Notre Dame. Gosh, I can't remember his name. Played, was a pretty decent player. And then 37th pick was Nick Van Exel. And all the people said, boy, Jerry West is such a genius. Took Nick Van Exel 37th. I said, yeah, well, if he's a real genius, he'd have taken him with his seventh or eighth pick because that's where – that's clearly where he should have went. Yeah, you can't even remember the dude's name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that. so he, you know, he had a short, you know, uneventful career. Uh, um, so, I mean, it, but that's, you know, that, that I always say, you know, that's that's the thing that we get into. I mean, you look at the, I always say, look at the all stars, and you see the Nikola Jokic is in the second round, and Jimmy Butler was a thirtieth pick, and the uh-huh. Kumpo fifteenth, and Quiet Leonard, fifty. You know, I mean, so many of the truly greats. You know, I always go back to the classic draft where the three best players in the draft were taken: thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Uh, that would be Kobe Bryant, thirteen; Pages Stojakovic, fourteen; and Steve Nash, fifteen. Yep. You yeah. Know, I mean, that's the reality of the draft. That's why, you know, and especially with the lottery like it is, I don't know why people get quite as excited as they do, especially now where you're talking about 19-year-olds are going to come in and not be ready by any way, mm-hmm. shape, or form, uh, for the most part. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things, uh, and you know, I, I can't keep you all day, although we're both quarantined to our house. Not quarantined, but we're both, <laughs> yeah. we're both locked in. Our, we're, we're shut-ins, Jerry. We're, we're shut-ins. Yeah, yeah, we're both... Uh, starved for sports that's right we are starved for sports um but you do have some unique experience with this i mean no one has any experience with this uh this is crazy and wild but um during the the 1998-99 season um there was a substantial lockout actually the they thought that the season wouldn't even start and i know david stern actually had come out and said a couple of times that uh, that the league was about to be canceled for the season, and you ended up playing a fifty game season. Um, and while uh, I believe the draft was held on time, like usual, because the draft is usually before the January, uh, the July first uh, moratorium. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But free agency hadn't happened. Uh, like as a front office, what do you do during this time? The Kings have it, they don't just have all this time to look at free agency and sort of plan out, but they have all this time to look at the draft and to study. What what would you do during this time, or what have you done when you have this prolonged lay of, uh, you know, sort of break? And, and, I mean, this one's a little different because there's a hope that you'll get back to basketball and actually be able to play games. Um, yeah, but, you know, it, it, it was even, you know, I think most of us at that time did expect to play, you know, a season. You know, I mean, it, we felt it'd be shortened, so... Uh, you, you kind of went 
about it as business as usual, even though you, you know there weren't pra- there were, was not practice and things like that. But as far as the draft, of course, you prepared and had your draft picks in. You made your pick. Uh, but then during the rest of it, you were trying to get spend a lot of time, honestly, getting information because at that time we did have free agent money available and uh, had made a, a coaching change, and and so that was a time where really the te- in my mind the franchise was at, was at its absolute low ebb, and uh, and and quite honestly, luckily maybe to some degree, but everything came together. You know, to where you had two rookies coming in who were really good and Jason Williams and Paige Stojakovic who had mm-hmm. been drafted earlier and stayed overseas. You know, you could sign one free agent, and, of course, the free agent you signed was Vladi Divac, who worked out beautifully. Uh, you made a big trade. Uh, Mitch Richmond yeah. and, and Wright's oldest Thorpe for, for Weber obviously couldn't have been any better and picked up a couple of you know, which uh, kind of basically free agent kind of guys that were available to anyone that really worked out, like John Barry and Scott Pollard and and Vernon Maxwell, uh, mm-hmm. crazy Vernon people forgot about. But but all those things, you know, happened. And I think honestly, part of the reason it worked as well as it did, certainly on the trade free agency and and picking up guys, had so much more time to see what was out there. And take advantage of it, if, if if that makes sense. Yeah. You know you. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and fortunately, I think pretty much every decision was was a, a correct one. Certainly, maybe the most important one was the selection of the coach. Yeah. Very very underrated the selection of of Rick Adelman. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, I've talked and I've said uh, they really ought to be retiring a number for him. Uh, you know. Eight years, eight playoffs. There's, there's not a single player, not a single player in Sacramento Kings history has as much impact on the franchise as Rick Adelman. That is very true. And he should also be in the Hall of Fame. His work... Yes, uh, he should. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like I said, he should be in the Hall of Fame based, if no other reason, and have a statue in front of... Uh, <laughs> in Houston, uh, just for the fact they won 55 games, I think, with Chuck Hayes as his starting center. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what that did? That got Chuck Hayes paid in Sacramento. <laughs> yes, it sure did. It sure did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Chuck ought to, not that Rick needs it, but he could probably slip a little Rick's way. Uh, uh, but, I right. mean, it was a, just another example of, of how a great coach can utilize players and, and get the most out of, uh, out of what players he has. And I always thought that, that part was never totally appreciated and, you know and i mean you, i think a lot of people saw it the last year he coached you know with a totally different kind of team with you know kevin martin and and uh francisco you know, kind of the, make, the makeshift team yeah, yeah and our test and those guys i mean he just you know just really a, a amazing makeshift job uh from the middle of the year on yeah, I remember his. Uh, he had a season in Houston where what they won twenty or twenty one straight. Uh, yes, and it was that incredible run. And like at game uh, eleven, he lost uh, Tracy McGrady, and like game thirteen, he lost Yao Ming. And Yao then they Ming. Just kept, yeah, they just kept winning. They just kept winning, and he had a, his system was so strong, and his ability to plug and play 
and have people step up, but also, you know, have guys fill voids was just absolutely remarkable. It's something, you know, again, the Kings didn't have a system in places here when they had their injuries early in the season. Um, maybe two years, three years into Luke Walton's uh, tenure, they could have survived something like that, but not in the first year, not after everything that, you know, the the way that the, the preseason went and their trips and you just difficult to institute something. And then you have injuries coming out of the gate. If, even if those would have came in game 40 through, through 80, I think you, you could have survived, but just the way that it worked out, uh, was extremely Yeah, difficult. I think that's, that's a great point. I mean, I think, uh, you know, cause you know, as fans, we can always say, well, why didn't he see this or that or whatever? Uh, but you know, it's like when you start the season, I mean, and you're a new coach, with quite a few new players, mm-hmm. uh, you probably aren't. You have a good idea of what you want to see, but then all of a sudden you really don't see it. Well, uh, that means adjustments, and uh, and then of course you add injuries to that. That means more adjustments. So it it uh, you know I'm not uh, you know trying to cop out here, but I'm just saying it it there's a lot more to it. You know everything has a multiplier in effect when. Uh, like I say, and, and, and injuries are are part of it. But but I've always said I think just the fact you had a you had a lot of new players uh, just by itself. So it wasn't totally a vet, uh, you know teams getting used to one another because you know Barnes had come in for about 25 games. Yep. And uh, and so you had the new free agent additions that were supposed to have a big role, and you have a new coach, a new staff. So. Uh, you know, just you know, when you look back, you can say, "Oh, I could see where this might not go as well as we'd hoped." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's reasons why you could see that, and that, and that that would be just based on on normal injuries as opposed to maybe a few more. And and I'm not one to spend time on injuries because, like I say, you know, Toronto's had more than than about anybody, and look where they are. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree, and I'm not one to pitch the whole this whole season uh, was about injuries and that's why everything happened but when you get to the end of the season and it it's going to come down you know if if they do play the final what do the kings have 18 games left if they actually somehow do get all those games in this is going to come down to one or two or three games and i can pick out 10 games that were affected dramatically by injuries and to me it's oh, like yeah. you know it wasn't just the dearn it, you know, Bagley's out, but then you lose Fox after game nine. And it wasn't just that you had no Fox. is that then you lost Bogdanovich for 10 games during that time while Fox was out. And so you lost your two primary ball handlers. And so there were well, moments, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, here's, and, and get back on that. On the thing is, like with Toronto, one of the reasons they, they, they really had everything in place. And so the, this year... Uh, even with injuries, a lot of key injuries, you know, they had their system. Nick Nurse knew what he had with his reserve, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and they had belief in the system because it had worked, even, you know, when, without Kawhi Leonard or Danny Green. I mean, they believed, hey, we're good. And so key guys go out, next guy comes in, plays. So, you know, I guess what I'm saying is had these exact same things happen to – possibly the Kings next season, uh, things might, same injuries or different, you know what I mean? It, yeah. It, it might not have near the same impact. Yeah. 
I would totally agree. All right, so um, I, I want to finish with this. Uh, Jerry Reynolds has his own project going on, um, and you know it's it's a podcast, which um, I think anyone who's listening to a podcast uh, likes to hear other podcasts. Uh, and and Jerry, the Jerry Reynolds show, first of all, uh, the studio you're doing that in is absolutely incredible. Uh, it's it's just a spectacular setup. Um, but what has that experience been like for you to to try something new, something different, um, and you know, sort of put put it all together, the Jerry Reynolds show? Well, it's been a lot of fun, you know. And as you said, you know, obviously McCreary is uh, setting up the studio for me, and and you know, and I guess from just from my point of view, and of course, you know, just recently recently had you on there, and and uh, I've had a blast, you know, trying to get to, you know get to know people's backgrounds a little bit showing for for fans to learn a, a little bit about people that they think they know but don't completely know or, or how they got to where they are i guess would be another way of doing it so it, yeah it's been a, a a lot of fun for me and you know just uh seem like it's going going great but uh yeah that uh yeah it i, I just really enjoy it and sadly we're we're, we're kind of holding off on it now for a while you know due to the the virus but uh mm-hmm. you know your your uh podcast with you or the podcast with you just came out recently i've enjoyed uh re re-watching it uh you know you can get it on itunes uh youtube just google it and uh and subscribe for those of you out there interested and got i think we got sam amick and and uh let's see scott moke i think still in the can so to speak yeah so those will be very interesting but uh yeah, just uh, I'm just praying. You know, I, I hope you're right about the getting the end of the regular season, and I, I I just doubt that personally. I I I just think if the league is able to even just to play a couple of games and then get to the playoffs, I think that would be miraculous in of itself, and, and probably financially for the league, that may be the the best they could hope for. Yeah, yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be very very difficult. It, it's I think the biggest thing as of right now is you don't even know how to schedule it still. There's no way no. to actually schedule it still. And we haven't well, hit they the... listen to me. I've got the ideas now. Uh-oh. You know, here's what they got to do. You know, and I, I think there's only two teams that if they were just to, say, play one or two more regular season games would be kind of screwed, and that's New Orleans and, and Sacramento. Mm-hmm. But because but the East is, is what it is, and, yep. and seven teams are set in the – you know clearly in the in the west as well so and i think that you know at some point they just can't can't do it any other way but having said that to me get to the playoffs and then best of three in the first round get away from that best of three it's ridiculous uh you know baseball has a one game and then plus best of five after yeah. 162 friggin games uh but best of five after the first round and then best of seven for the championship and and do not have more than one day off in between all right you play all year long with day you know with no more than one day off practically maybe maybe if you're switching from you could have maybe go to two game two two days off if it's going going from one winning a a round to another round that sort of thing but uh speed it up in other words there's no reason to drag it out for you know 
as much as I love basketball, I get so tired of it by the middle of June that sometimes it's hard for me to stay with the, the championship round by then. <laughs> and so I, I just think, that, you know, and I know, I know what they say. Well, the TV rate, but TV ratings will, will if it's if it's a good product, uh, people want to see it. They don't want to see, I don't think they want to see playoff basketball going against uh, the NFL start of the season either. Yeah. So they better. So all they got to do is just ask me, James. There we go. They ask ask Jerry. Now my <laughs> my approach would be to have a plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure Adam Silver is uh, be getting on the phone just any time now. That's right. That's right. Uh, my approach would be to have a plan to have a uh, a small tournament with maybe teams seven and eight, uh, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve in each. And have uh, you know the the seventh play uh, the twelfth and, and just just do a, a small plan a small season a, a small tournament really quickly uh, almost NCAA style and and go from there. But then again, um, or maybe have uh, that that play in um, with just teams nine. Uh, 9, 10, 11, 12. So those four teams, have them do a small best of series, one game, and then whoever wins those gets to play against the 7th and 8th seed and then in a short series, a three-game series, and then go from there. So we at least get some basketball beforehand because I'm worried, Jerry, that if they just try to fire this thing up and go right to the playoffs, we're going to have some of the worst basketball that you've ever seen. Oh, it, I totally agree with that. That's why I say I, I honestly think they, even though it wouldn't be fair to, to two teams, and two teams probably only, uh, because New Orleans and, and Sacramento really have a right to believe they could catch Memphis. Uh-huh. But in the East, the, there is nobody getting screwed. No. Uh, but, but having said that, uh, and three games wouldn't be enough, fair enough test, and uh, fair enough to to those particular teams of which I am biased towards. But by playing, say, two or three more games, then at least all teams would have played, would be ready, I think, to where they wouldn't be an embarrassment in the first round. Yeah. You know, and, uh, okay. but yeah, you just couldn't start the playoffs and say, here you go, guys. Uh, that, that, that wouldn't work. So, and, and it would give even the t- non-playoff teams some some games, uh, hopefully revenue and those kind of things as well. So, so I don't know. And an- you know, the short answer is there is no really good way of doing it. No. Nope. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. a finding finding a way that is less bad. Yeah, I think that the only really fair way to do it is find some way to play all those games, um, and that's going to be yeah. very difficult to do. Um, even if it's without fans, uh, you know, if you can start up in, in early June and, and just find a way to play those remaining games. Um, I made this point the other, uh, the last podcast with Doug. Um, people forget that the Kings had one of the more difficult schedules uh, remaining. Um, yeah. The Pelicans had the easiest had the schedule. One, really, yeah. And, and then the Grizzlies had the most difficult schedule. But that also means that the Pelicans had the easiest schedule, I mean, the, the most difficult schedule up to that point. And the Grizzlies mm-hmm. had the easiest schedule up to that point. That's why their final 18 or 20 games was so brutal because they had had a very soft schedule leading up to that. And so it's just kind of the dynamic of, 
of the scheduling and it worked out in a weird way where teams, you know, sort of the Kings were in the middle. You had the easiest schedule, the most difficult schedule, and then the Kings are kind of in the middle, you know, right around a 500 schedule. Remaining. Yeah, yeah, right in there. And uh, I always said I, I thought the best chance the Kings, and I thought the Kings had a reasonable chance to make it, but the key would be winning the series, season series with New Orleans. Yep. Because they had the tiebreaker with Memphis, and I think I I was of the mindset that it likely come down to a tiebreaker. Yeah, <laughs> and so that that's that's just my little opinion, which means absolutely nothing at this point. At and, this point, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I and so so, but it's uh, it is just such an unprecedented thing, and and you know hopefully ten years from now we can look back on this and talk about it and maybe more positive ways. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, that's going to, that's going to do it for this show, Jerry. I think, I think we've wrapped it up. Do you have any final thoughts? We've solved all the problems, James, as usual. We have, we've solved all. Do you have any final thoughts, Jerry? My only final thought is I, I just, uh, I'm just hoping that, that obviously that the state and the country can get on top of this and find a vaccine within a reasonable time frame. And obviously I love sports, all sports. And so we can get back on track with, not too much more delay, and I, but that's a hope and a pray, and that's all I got at this stage. That's all we got. All right, so everybody, be safe out there. Uh, don't hoard the toilet paper. I don't know why people are doing that. It's weird. Uh, uh, yeah, that is weird, yeah. <laughs> oh, do the, I, mean, I hope they're just not going to that bathroom that much more during uh, this period. I mean, I'm pretty much on the same basis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we seem to have figured this one out. I don't know why some people haven't. Uh, I don't know either. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Purple Talk Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. Uh, We'll be back later this week. I've already lined up a guest. I'm not going to tell you who that is because uh, guests sometimes have things happen where you don't get to talk to them. So we'll wait until we have that one in the can. Uh, But we will up the podcasting uh, over the next couple of weeks. So uh, for Jerry Reynolds, I'm James Ham. Make sure to tune into the Jerry Reynolds show as well. Uh, it's absolutely spectacular stuff, sort of a deep dive into the people um, that you see in front of the camera uh, and behind the microphone. Um, so good stuff there. Uh, so again, thanks for tuning into the the Purple Talk podcast on NBC Sports California. We'll see you soon.